0: Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. Glad you can be here to take part in our worship. I have often wondered why that song is not included in our our books. At the same time, I've wondered why some others are. Uh, We all have our favorites, I guess, don't we? That's always been a favorite of mine. And uh, if I ever meet the folks who put that book together, I'll ask them about that. I'm sure that will shake them up. We are glad that you're here today. Pray that our worship will be a blessing to you. <clears throat> it's been about 10 years ago now, I think, that I was uh, in the bookstore in an airport. And uh, I saw a book that sounded interesting. It was, called, it was written by a man by the name of Timothy Egan. and It was called The Worst Hard Time. And the subtitle of the book explains what it was about. The Untold Story of Those Who Survived the Great American Dust Bowl. It's the story of how much of the uh, middle part of America and the southwestern part turned into what was called the Dust Bowl because of so much soil erosion and the enormous dust storms that, uh, that blew through that area across the plains during the uh, 20s and 30s and 40s and uh, actually on into the uh, 50s and 60s to some extent. But since I grew up on the edge of that Dust Bowl, I was especially interested in that topic and in that book. So I bought it and I was reading it and learned about something I didn't know. It was an event that occurred on April 14th, 1935. It was called Black Sunday. It was called that because an enormous black cloud of dust rolled across Oklahoma and Texas. And it actually blotted out the sun and it was so dark that for at least a few moments, people could not literally could not see their hands in front of their faces. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that a lot of people thought it was the end of the world. Arlo Guthrie wrote his famous folk song, So Long It's Been Good to Know You, uh, as he was witnessing that storm. And uh, a lot of people thought judgment is about to take place, the Lord is about to come, and the end is almost here. Well it wasn't the end of the world, and Jesus wasn't coming at that moment. The judgment wasn't about to take place. I don't know of any place in the Bible that suggests that Jesus will come in a dust storm, although having been through some, uh, I think that would be an interesting prelude to judgment. Uh, But it does raise an important question. What will happen when Jesus comes? What will happen when time comes to an end? We need to know that because it's going to involve every single one of us. Every person who's ever lived on the planet is going to be involved in that. Now, there is not a Bible text that outlines for us step by step everything that will take place when Jesus comes. What we have is several different texts that give us pieces and and bits of the whole, and we can take those and we can piece them together. We ought to be careful about that, that we're uh, doing it in in a legitimate way, but we can kind of piece those together, and we do get a consistent picture of what will happen when Jesus comes, and that's what I want to try to outline for you this morning. What will happen when Jesus comes? The first thing that the Bible says that will happen when Jesus comes is that he will gather believers to himself. Remember that passage in John fourteen one to 3, when he said, uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. and If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself. He will come to gather believers to himself. In May, uh, Mark chapter 13, verses 26 and 27 He said this, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Wherever his elect are, whether they're at the four winds of the earth or at the ends of heaven or wherever we happen to be, he will gather us to himself. Now, as a part of that gathering of believers, it's going to involve the resurrection of the dead. Because a lot of believers have already passed through this life and gone on. You just heard the scripture reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Paul, when he was in Thessalonica, which apparently was only a few weeks or at most a few months, had taught them about the return of Jesus. The subject is that important that in that short period of time that he had to teach those new Christians who were coming largely out of pagan backgrounds, some out of Jewish backgrounds, but he taught them... That Jesus was going to return. Some of them apparently misunderstood Paul's teaching and thought Jesus is going to come back right away. They thought he was going to come back very quickly and yet some time elapsed, we don't know how much, but some time elapsed and some of their number died and they were very distressed by that. They didn't know what to think and they wondered will those people who have died, will they, will they miss out when the Lord comes again? Will they be missing something because they're not here when he comes? And that's what prompts Paul to write, First Thessalonians four thirteen to 18. And he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Don't you just love that, uh, that euphemism about death, those who are asleep? Because the dead will waken. We don't want you to be grieving about those who are asleep as others do who have no hope. And then in verse 14, he affirms his conviction that when Jesus comes, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When he comes, he'll bring them with him. And then he says this in verses 15 to 17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be gathered up with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. First thing that's going to happen, he says, the Lord's going to descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They won't miss out on anything, he says. They'll rise. They'll, they'll be uh, witnesses of the event right from the very beginning. And then we who are alive or left will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, also always be with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, that was read at the beginning of our service, verses 50 to 58, Paul had said, we will not all sleep. Some of us will still be alive. You know, it's hard for us to imagine that day. We all assume that we're going to, to die and, and that when Jesus comes, we'll be dead. That, that may be true. We don't know. But Paul says we won't all sleep. Some people will still be living when Jesus comes. But he says we will all be changed because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. Flesh and blood can't go to heaven, he says. So we'll all be changed He says, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and that which is mortal must put on immortality. Our bodies have to be transformed, and God will take care of that. That will happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, he says. And I want you to notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, that our bodies will be raised. I found that a lot of Christians are not sure about that. I've heard a lot of people say, well, no, it's our souls that are raised. Our bodies just stay there in the grave. Read it again. Our bodies are raised. They are transformed. They are changed, but they are raised. God is not gonna save a piece of us. He's gonna save all of us. He's gonna save our bodies. Some of us might think, well, I don't know if I want this body to be saved or not. I think it's about to run its course. That's why it's gonna be changed. It's gonna be transformed. But our bodies will be raised. We will be raised body and spirit from the grave. Can you imagine the scene when Jesus comes? Can you imagine Christians who have lived throughout the ages rising from the dead in an, in an uncorrupted, incorruptible state, in a transformed state? Can you imagine all of us then being caught up with them to meet Christ in the air, being changed As we go. Can you imagine seeing Paul and Peter and James and John. And by the way some people that you know. Who have been important in your life in Christ. Who maybe led you to Christ. Who aren't here anymore. People who taught you the word of God. Who aren't here anymore. You'll see them again. Because they will be among the dead in Christ who will rise. And then we will all together go up to meet the Lord in the air. Every time I conduct a funeral and a graveside service, I always tell people the grave is not the final resting place. We use that expression a lot, don't we? Well, it's this final resting place. The final resting place is in whatever gardens, you know, whatever. No. Every single person in that place will rise. The grave is not the final resting place. This is what the old spiritual calls that great getting up morning. Great morning, indeed. John 14, verse three, Jesus says, I'll take you to myself. He'll gather. His believers, no matter where they are, even in the grave. When Jesus comes, we will all be judged and evil will be destroyed forever. It turns out that the dead in Christ aren't the only ones who will be raised. Everybody's going to be raised. Listen to John chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Here's the context of this. The religious leaders of the Jews had been criticizing Jesus because they thought he was claiming too much authority. He made himself to be the son of God. And they were saying, in essence, who do you think you are? And Jesus said, I'll tell you who I am. He said, I am the son, and God has given to me the authority to, ha- to give life and to execute judgment. Those are divine prerogatives, aren't they? Nobody but deity could do that. And then he says this in John five twenty-five: Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. And then listen to this one. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Did you get that? All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I've heard some people say, well, there's two resurrections then. There's a resurrection of life and there's a resurrection of judgment. No, there is one resurrection when Jesus comes, but it has two results. For those who have done right, for those who have followed Christ, for those who have been made alive in him, for those who have been redeemed by him, for those who have his spirit in him, as Bill read in the Lord's Supper, then there will be life. It will be a resurrection life. For those who have not, it will be a resurrection merely for judgment. It's not two resurrections, but one. Paul affirms that in Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10. He says that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive good or evil according to what we have done in the body. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us, To receive good or evil according to what we've done in the body. And then there's one of the most sobering scenes in all the Bible. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. I want you to listen to it carefully. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they have done. Then death... And Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the great scene of the judgment, according to Revelation chapter 20. I want you to notice a couple of things about that scene. He says, I saw the dead, great and small. Nobody's too important. Nobody's too rich. Nobody's too powerful. You know, some folks may escape the judgment they deserve in this life. They won't escape it in the next. Everybody's going to be there. The other thing that we need to notice is that people are judged on what they have done. What they have done. People are not judged about what they thought. People will not be judged by what they have felt. People will not be judged by what they intended to do. They will not be judged by what they could have done. We will all be judged by what we have done. But the most important question, the biggest question in Revelation 20 is about that book of life. Because if your name is in the book of life, then everything's okay. If your name is in the book of life, then you have life guaranteed. When did your name get written in the book of life? If your name is in the book of life, it happened that day that you decided you were going to follow Jesus. It happened that day that you confessed that Jesus is God's son and your Savior. It happened that day that you decided you were going to repent of sin and no longer live for sin and live for yourself, but you were going to live for God. It happened that day that you were baptized into Christ and your sins were washed away and his spirit came to live in you. At that moment, your name was written in the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life. If that hasn't happened in your life, then your name's not there. I don't know how scripture could be any clearer about that. Your name is either there or it isn't there. And the book, he says, those books that were opened contain the record of what people have done. When you stand before God, that's, that's going to be what the basis of judgment is. It's based on what you've done. Is that salvation by works? No. But it is judgment based on the life you've lived. It's judgment based on whether or not you've served Christ with your life. And each one of us is writing that book right now. Every one of us is writing our own book every day. And when we stand before God, that book will be opened. There's good news in all of this, because notice what he says. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, the lake of fire. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. They are utterly destroyed forever. That is the end of all evil. In the chapter before, the beast and the false prophet have already been thrown into the lake of fire. Now, he says death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan himself is thrown into the lake of fire. There's no more evil. It's all done away. That happens because of what happens in chapter 19. One who's described as the rider on the white horse appears and he defeats all the forces of evil. It's a very poetic, very symbolic description, but it's talking about Jesus. How do we know it's talking about Jesus? Because it calls him the word of God and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That couldn't be anybody else, could it? Nobody but Jesus. And he defeats the forces of evil once and for all. And then in the next chapter, chapter 20, verse 10, Satan is bound and then he's thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. All evil will be done away. When Jesus comes, we will all be judged and evil will will all be destroyed. It won't be there anymore. And that brings us to the third thing that happens when Jesus comes. The physical universe will be destroyed. And the new heaven and the new earth will appear. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, after rebutting claims by scoffers that Jesus isn't coming, Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will melt away, will pass away uh, with a loud noise. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are upon it will be exposed, or some manuscripts say burned up. But he says that when that happens on the day of the Lord, all this physical universe is going to be done away. Verse 12, he says, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. You think, what a horrible scene. What an awful thing that must be. But then you get to verse 13. When you get to verse 13, he says, it's not all destruction, but according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Only righteousness dwells there. Only righteousness. You see, there's going to be a whole new order of things. It's going to be something completely different, something unlike anything that we've ever known. Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, After the destruction of evil and after the judgment, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then he hears the voice of God. In Revelation 21 and verse 4. When he says, Behold, I make all things new. And he says, The dwelling of God is with men. And there won't be any death anymore. There won't be any crying anymore. There won't be any pain anymore. There won't be any suffering anymore. All the stuff that makes this life so tragic. All of the stuff that makes this life at times so disturbing. All of that will be done away. All sickness, all evil, all sadness. Nothing left but God and his people and goodness. Let me ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who would not want to live in a world without all the evil that afflicts this world? Who would not want to live in the presence of God forever? The God who made us and the Christ who died for us. Who would not want to live in their presence forever, absent all the pain and suffering of this life? Who wouldn't want to do that? April 14, 1935 was not the end of the world. It was not the time of Jesus coming. It was not the time of the judgment. But all of that will come. All that will come when Jesus comes. And for those who believe and who follow him, it will be the greatest moment imaginable. For those who refuse, it will be the worst. God, you see, gives us the choice. Each of us is confronted with a decision what that day is going to be like for us. God does not decide that for us. There are people who teach that. It's a horrible distortion of the message of Christ. God does not make that that decision for you. You have to make it for yourself. But that decision can't be made when you hear the sound of the archangel's call. That decision can't be made when you hear the sound of the trumpet of God. That decision can't be made when you see him coming. You can't at that moment say, okay, I'll follow Jesus. That decision has to be made now. It has to be made before. And the best time to make it is now. This isn't something to be put off. You need to make your decision to follow Jesus today because we don't know when he's coming. He didn't tell us. But we do know that he is coming. We know that when he comes, this earth will be destroyed We'll stand before him in judgment. The books will be opened. So the decision is yours. If your name's not in the book of life today, you need to take care of that. You need to confess Christ. Be baptized into him. Let me urge you not to wait another day. Don't wait another moment. You can come now while we stand and sing.